Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. C-minus. C-M-I-N-E-S. Did you even study? No, I didn't. Wow. How impressive is that? This is not your grandmother's scrap. I'm Trisha Bobita. I'm Greta Johnson. And this is the Nerdette Podcast. Coming up this week, more word nerdery. We're going to talk about the Scrabble tournament that I went to that kind of changed my life. And an interview with Stefan Fatsis. He's the author of Word Freak, the book that's about 10 years old now, but dove into the world of competitive Scrabble in a way that many had never heard before. Fatsis is also on the Slate Sports podcast called Hang Up and Listen. So last weekend, I nerded out over Shakespeare and lightsabers, and recently Greta had a pretty nerdy weekend, too. I did. It was about a month ago now, and I went to a regional Scrabble tournament, and it was amazing. You walk in. It's a competitive Scrabble tournament. What do you see? Well, this was at the Asheville Senior Center, almost like a cafeteria-style room with these long tables everywhere and boards set up, and people are sitting there really quietly staring at this board. It's kind of an amazing thing. And then there were even these silence enforcers, and they had these pictures of people saying, shh, on little popsicle sticks that they would hold up if people started talking because you're not supposed to talk. So it's really very quiet, except for like the tiles being played on the little plastic grids of the board. And you have to be silent, right? There's no chit-chat because there's no time for that. There's clocks involved. Yeah, they're like the chess clocks. There's 25 minutes per player per game. And if you go past your time, the game doesn't automatically end, but you get points subtracted from your score, which is not a good thing, obviously. I wish that was true in Words with Friends because sometimes I play a word for my brother and then he doesn't play another word for days. Exactly. That's kind of one of my problems with words with friends. Here's Bill Snotty. He usually directs the Scrabble tournaments, but this year he got to take the year off so that he could actually play in it. You really find people intensely playing a very competitive game. In fact, this has been called the contact mind sport because it's so intense. Contact mind sports. That's awesome. Isn't it hilarious? And there was actually a story in Sports Illustrated about the National Scrabble Tournament quite a few years ago. But it features one of the folks who was actually at this tournament, this guy named David Gibson, who is not only the sweetest man you've ever met, but also an excellent Scrabble player. He's ranked right now third in North America. And he also has won about $150,000 over his career of playing Scrabble, which is significant. Wow. Here's all the different elements that he's thinking of in a Scrabble game. You're basically thinking about three things, I think, when you make a turn. You think about, of course, how much you can score offensively, your point total, number one. Just as important almost, though, is what you put down is what you keep, uh, what you keep on your rack. You try to basically keep the Will of Fortune letters, let's call them, the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the L and R, S, T, and the E. And those are the easiest letters that, that you can use to play our what we call our bingos with, put all your letters down and get the 50-point bonus, in other words, hit the home run. 
The third thing that you keep in mind, though, is your position on the board. I think of it as is your defense. I try to cut down on what my opponent can do. I try to cut down on his options. Inside the mind of David Gibson is a very meticulous place, I think. No kidding. You know, it's funny you say that because when he drove to Asheville from this place called Spartanburg, which is about an hour and eight minutes away, he said, which I think (laughs) is a really good indicator of his level of precision in life. (laughs) One thing that was really remarkable about David particularly is he's got these two study books And one of them he calls David's lexicon. He kind of jokingly called it his Old Testament. And it's official Scrabble player's dictionary, but he ended up having to get it rebound because the binding wore off of the original thing. You use it four or five hours a day, it's going to come apart eventually. So it came apart and I've got all kinds of marginalia in here. (laughs) Yes, that is a word. word, That is a good word, yeah. Describe the percentage of print versus... There's there's more blue ink that I've written in than the text, than the black text. You're right. And what are you writing in? You're writing... Anagrams, uh, similar words. It's really intense. And there are mnemonic devices for remembering the anagrams for different words. And we'll post a picture of this book because it's just too crazy to not be able to see a picture of it. This is what I love about nerds. In this space, this book is probably revered by other Scrabble players. If someone else saw him with it on the subway, they might think he was John Nash. Oh, absolutely. There is no doubt about that. At least just in this tournament, there were divisions one through five of these competitive players. If you're just starting off, you're in division five. David, for example, was in division one. And that's based on your ranking at other tournaments and during official competitive games. But there were these two ladies there completely passionate about Scrabble, but hated competitive Scrabble. But they still came to hang out, which I really admired. They had this little sign that said division six. And their names are Carolyn Shorky and Wendy Sokolow. And they were all wearing Scrabble-themed earrings and T-shirts and necklaces and stuff. And it turns out they started playing Scrabble together a whole long time ago. And then Wendy moved away. But they kept playing Scrabble long distance. We continued playing Scrabble by mail with a paperboard and paper letters and a real letter, handwritten, sent with it, with each play, and it takes about a year to finish a game. And so I have a collection of all the paper games we've played for 30 years. This is not only the lost art of letter writing, but the lost art of patience, I think. I can't imagine. I mean, you heard how frustrated I got when my brother didn't lay me back instantly on words with friends. And I don't know if we could have handled the Scrabble game via paper letters. Oh, I know. I panic when someone doesn't text me back within like 10 minutes. It would be a disaster for me. (laughs) They loved Scrabble, but they passionately hated competitive Scrabble, which was also sort of refreshing to see. After the first game I played competitively, I had post-traumatic stress disorder. And I just flattened myself in a standing position up against a wall with my hands up. It's like I couldn't move. So yeah, Division 6, they call themselves the Drink, Wine, and Chat and Play Scrabble Club. And that's pretty much my level of scrabbling right there. (laughs) It was really cool to see just because everyone from David Gibson, who's nationally renowned, to these ladies in this made-up Division 6 are really just having a wonderful time playing Scrabble. There were actually a lot of young people there, too. And there was this one girl named Hannah Lieberman who was really great. And she summed up her experience with Scrabble in a really fun way. At first, I was like, nerds? Like, what are you doing? And then they brought me to one, and I got totally addicted to it. So my mom, sometimes my dad, my brother, and my sister, and I all play. 
It's a little cultish, but in a good way. And it sounds like your experience was one that matches my rules for nerd etiquette, which is that you must be welcoming and an evangelist for your fandom or your nerddom, not demeaning to people who aren't already into what you're into. It really embodies a lot of what we're trying to do with Nerdette, I think, and just that sense of celebrating whatever it is you're excited about. And in this case, it's words and anagrams. So while I was at the Scrabble tournament, Bill Snotty actually handed me a book on the second day and said, Greta, you have to read this. And it's this book called Word Freak, which was written by Stefan Fatsis. I had heard of Stefan Fatsis from hearing him on All Things Considered. He talks about sports with Robert Siegel on Friday afternoons. But I had no idea that he was also really into this Scrabble world. Turns out 10 years has not dampened his love of Scrabble. If anything, he's a bigger Scrabble nerd than ever and is training the next generation. You got to do some kicking for the Denver Broncos back in, what, 2006? Yes. Can we just agree right now that kicker is the nerdiest position in football? Absolutely. I wouldn't have chosen any (laughs) other position. Not that I really had a choice if I was going to write a book about the National Football League and try to play, because any other position I would have been, you know, dead. So (laughs) to write the book, it's important to survive training camp. So, yeah, kicker, totally. Embrace your nerd, man. I mean, and it was a great way to be sort of like the team mascot because the kicker is still perceived as sort of this other on the football field. And because of my size, much smaller than an NFL player, and because of the nature of the position, which is very technical and specific and requires learning this very precise skill that you repeat over and over and over again, yeah, it's completely fits the definition of nerd on field. I think initially it would be easy to argue that a book about Scrabble and a book about football are obviously going to be very different things, but it does sort of have a similar construct in terms of you being this fan and outsider deciding to delve into the world of whatever it is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the football book was a complete theft of idea from George Plimpton, who made a career out of stepping into other worlds, particularly sports worlds. I mean, he boxed, he played baseball, he played basketball, he played hockey. It was a franchise. But the book he did about football, Paper Lion, was the signature book in his series. And for me, it was, yeah, I wanted to participate. After writing Word Freak and after getting over the idea that you can use a first-person pronoun in your journalism, I love the idea of immersion. To me, the best way to understand a world is to become a part of it. And it's more fun that way. I spent many, many years as a straight-on news gatherer and reporter, and it was liberating to get into the world of Scrabble and realize that I could be a character. It also requires a tremendous balance when you're writing a book in which you're the main character. You want to be appealing to the reader. You don't want to come off as egocentric. There has to be failure in order for the reader to identify with you. And the good news and the bad news simultaneously were that I was very adept at the failure part. (laughs) So none of it was made up. I struggled in both of these pursuits, partly because I chose pursuits that were beyond the realm of my potential expertise. I am kind of an every man trying to do something that there are people that are so great at doing these things that I couldn't possibly achieve their level of expertise so I can fail along the way. But I had enough innate and learned skill that I could get good enough that you could root for me and I will succeed in some capacity. So what is it about Scrabble particularly that made you decide to dive into this world? I mean, it was mostly chance. I always played. Um, I played as a kid. I can remember games we played. I mean, we still talk about this game that I played 
Academe, A-C-A-D-E-M-E. It was a complete guess because it wasn't like I was studying the official Scrabble <laughs> Players Dictionary when I was a junior in high school. And when we looked it up, it was, it's good. Oh, my God. Um, and, you know, 30 years later, we're still talking about it. So I always played, and I was always a pretty competent player. My brother went through a phase in the late 1970s where he and a roommate, sort of post-college roommate, would play obsessively, and they would tally up the point difference and apply it against the utilities on their apartment. Oh, I love Um, that. And his friend was in J school and decided to write his magazine story at the end of J school on Scrabble. So they figured out that there was this world of people that could memorize words, and my brother started memorizing the OSPD to try to win more games against his roommate. And so I knew that this culture existed, and I played a lot with an ex-girlfriend, and there was a story that was published in Sports Illustrated in 1985 that I read that was actually written by Scott Price, F.L. Price was his byline, who's turned out to be a good friend of mine. And I was working at the Wall Street Journal at the time, and I was interested in trying to write another book. I had written one. I wanted to do another one. And so it was mostly a journalistic exploration initially. And then I realized after a few weeks of hanging out with some of the people who would become principals in the book that not only were they fantastically rich characters and brilliant people who hadn't been written about very much and were willing to let a reporter into their lives, but that I had some ability at this, that I was entranced by the idea that there were thousands of words that you didn't use in your daily life, but that could be liberated by playing this game. I love the idea of trying to conquer the unconquerable, the vast expanse of the English language. And I was pretty good at it pretty quickly. And it's just one of those things that gets inside you and it becomes an addiction. I was single at the time. I'd go home from my day job at the Wall Street Journal and I would sit on the floor and play solitaire Scrabble. This was always also pre-internet, pre-Scrabble apps, you know, pre-Facebook. And I would play against myself and I would study the two-letter words and then the three-letter words and then the four-letter words and seven-letter words during my 20-minute subway ride every morning to work. So this was words with no friends? (laughs) This was words with no (laughs) friends, yes. (laughs) How has the competitive Scrabble world changed since you wrote Word Freak? If you show up at a tournament now, it's different than before, right? Oh, totally. I mean, the thing I'm proudest of is that the book managed to impact a subculture, that there are you know, hundreds and hundreds of people that play Scrabble, maybe more, because I wrote this book and people come up to me at tournaments and you know, I'll get choked up when I say this. They come up to me and they say, you changed my life. You gave me an outlet for a passion that I didn't know I had. And it's incredibly touching because as a writer, you don't get that many opportunities to affect people. And it may sound silly because we're talking about playing a board game, but it's also a subculture with a tremendous amount of commitment and a tremendous amount of camaraderie and a shared purpose, like most subcultures. But it's one that, because of the way we interact today, it is one that if you have this predilection, this desire or interest or ability to stare at a bunch of letters and see how you can tease out beauty in language and play this competitive, challenging, cutthroat board game, It is addictive in a healthy way, and the Internet has completely changed how games like Scrabble are 
contested. I mean, more people play. Millions of people play every day. It's made playing the game at any level accessible. B, it's changed inside our world because it's made it possible to digest the volume of words that you need to play at a high level much more rapidly and much more efficiently. When I started playing in the late 1990s, there was one word study software available. And basically what you could do with it was create lists and print them out. And I would walk around with these printed lists of alphagrams, the letters in alphabetical order with the answers next to them. And I'd cover up the answers and I would try to solve the riddle of what words you could find in this group of letters. And now you can download programs that allow you to basically study as much as you want at all times, anywhere. A group of letters pops up on the screen, you type in the answer, and you move on to the next one. Or if you don't know the answer, you hit a button. There's a program called Viziva that's brilliant. And how that has changed the subculture is that it has made it possible for people to sit down and plow through these words quickly. And if you have the sort of brain that allows you to memorize and remember and pull from the recesses of your gray matter, the answer at the right time, you can do it a lot more quickly and a lot more efficiently than you could 20 years ago. And the result has been, and I'll take a little credit for this too, is that there's been an influx of younger people playing the game. It's not the same people that have been around for 20 years. Tons of kids play, and I've been very active in coaching kids in Scrabble. And it's kind of changed the environment at big tournaments. You get a lot of people in their 20s and 30s. It's a lot more collegial and, frankly, a little bit more normal than the world that I was writing about when WordFeed was published. Sort of the same evolution that gaming in general has gone through, where it's a little more mainstream, a little less of an outsidery thing to be doing, to have your thumbs going on your phone on the train or on the bus, and you might be playing Tetris, you might be playing Scrabble, you might be playing some other kind of video game, but it's not just for the gamers anymore. I love that. I love the fact that we can now view a pastime like playing Scrabble as something that is completely normal, that you can tell a kid, you know, hey, let's play a board game, um, and they won't look at you like you're a dork. I ran a Scrabble tournament for fourth to eighth graders here in Washington, D.C. last weekend. We had 72 kids playing from 12 different schools, playing at all levels, kids that just started playing Scrabble for the first time a few weeks earlier to kids like my daughter who play in adult-rated tournaments. It's a wonderful thing that you can mainstream the concept of intellect, that you can tell kids, it's cool to do this. It's cool to learn words and play strategic games. And it's the same thing, I think, at a higher level, at an adult level. You know, you can now say, I'm going to a Scrabble tournament, and people don't look at you cross-eyed. I remember when I was researching the book, and I would tell people, yeah, I'm working on a book. What's it about? It's about the world of competitive Scrabble. They'd look at me like, are you crazy? Who's going to buy that? Who could possibly be interested in that? And it turns out that a lot of people were interested because there is something very common in all of us that wants to find ways to decode the world. Doing the crossword puzzle every day or doing Sudoku every day is commonplace, and nobody would have questioned that 30 years ago or 20 years ago. And now I think games like Scrabble have achieved the same sort of acceptance culturally. And as a culture, what could be better than encouraging these nerdy pastimes or at least transforming the notion of what constitutes a nerdy pastime? Mainstream the concept of intellect. I love that. (laughs) 
So one thing I noticed at the Scrabble tournament here in Asheville was that a lot of the top players had pretty significant backgrounds in mathematics, whether they were math teachers or were really good at math when they studied it. And a lot of people say that you do kind of need that mathematical mind to be able to play at the expert level. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. This is a math game. It's not a word game when it's played at the highest levels. It is the most reductivist approach to language that you can have. And that turns off a lot of people. I mean, those millions that play words with friends every day are not playing it mathematically. They're playing it the way people play it in their living rooms. Competitively, Scrabble is all about mathematics. I mean, it is a game of chance, first of all, the game of probabilities. There are 100 tiles in the bag, 98 letters, two blanks. If you stick your hand in the bag, there are odds that you're going to pull out a certain set of letters. It's a game of spatial relations. It's a game of geometry. It's a game of pattern recognition. It's a game of probability. And it's a game of quick mathematical thinking. You're describing this game as a pure set of options and probabilities so is bananagrams just a bastardization? Is it okay? Is it like working a different muscle? If you're a swimmer, you go for a run every once in a while. If you're a runner, you go for a swim every once in a while. Is that bananagrams? Yeah. I mean, bananagrams are boggle. I mean, you ever watched expert boggle players play? Holy smokes. I've never seen fingers move so quickly as when expert boggle players, who also are expert scrabble players, who also might be great poker players, who also might be reformed chess players. As long as you're training your brain... It doesn't really matter if you're playing Scrabble or you're playing Boggle or you're playing Bananagrams or you're playing Words with Friends. I mean, it's all forcing you to fire the same neurons and then build more neurons in those areas of the brain that allow you to do this. And that's what you're doing. I still study. I just came back from the gym where I have Vizava, the app on my iPhone, and I tried to learn 50 words while I was pedaling a bike. But what you're doing when you're doing that is you're building new connections in your brain. As a brain scientist told me, you're building new neurons. You're building new pathworks that allow you to become better at this. You're preparing for that one moment when you will need to find that particular word and you hope that you've trained your brain well enough that it won't let you down at that critical moment, and very often it does. (laughs) What's the best part of working with your daughter's Scrabble team? Oh my God, kids are the best. I mean, kids are the best for a lot of reasons. One, that they are enthusiastic at all times, and they don't have these built-in biases that adults have. Very often, when you try to explain competitive Scrabble to people that don't play that way, the first reaction is, oh, all those stupid Scrabble words. Those aren't words. I think you should have to define words in order to be able to play them. You know, ZA, come on, nobody says za for pizza. QI, what's that? Some Chinese word. Kids don't have those biases. And those biases, to me, are really nothing more than insecurity. That just because you don't know a word doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, doesn't make it invalid. And kids never bat an eye. Like, AVA is a word? Awesome. It's like words are words are words are words. And I think if you can teach kids that our language is broad and interesting and quirky and fun, it just makes them better people. It makes them better communicators. It'll make them better readers. It'll make them more curious about the world around them. It'll make them open to concepts because they've been exposed to all of these funny words that you can play in this game, but also exist in language. So when they run across something unusual in their lives, maybe they won't say, I don't get it. They'll say, cool, tell me a little bit more about it. 
Thanks to Stefan Fatsis for talking with us. Little known fact, Stefan Fatsis actually proposed to his now wife, Melissa Block, using Scrabble tiles in Paris. How amazing is that? His book Word Freak is available everywhere and you should read it if you haven't yet. The Kindle version just came out recently. Cocktails before homework? No, but can I just say I'm very concerned for the nation that Jamba Juice now sells an eggnog-flavored holiday beverage? Wait, what? I know, it's really upsetting. I walk by a Jamba Juice on my way to work every day, and the giant sign in the window says something about an eggnog Jamba Juice. Which I like to pretend that I'm being healthy when I drink Jamba Juice, but I certainly can't do that if it says eggnog in the title. Just any phrase that involves eggnog and juice is really creepy to me. Also, the fact that you can get it in a cup that's a size that would be illegal in New York City. (laughs) That's too much eggnog. Now that I've made you all a little nauseous thinking about drinking 44 ounces of eggnog, (laughs) homework. It might not surprise you that Stefan Fatsis' homework is Scrabble-related. And this is the first time homework comes with a potential prize attached. Yeah, this is very exciting. If you want to become a better Scrabble player, you should learn all of the two-letter words. There are 101 of them. It is not intimidating. It is not imposing. It's a very simple thing to do. I learned them very quickly, and then I once recited them from AA, and I recited them on All Things Considered on FPR. <laughs> it started like AA, AB, AD, and then they would fade me out, and then they'd fade me back in where I was like an F-A-G-O. Um, <laughs> but there are 101 two-letter words. They are all easy to find online. The best place to find them and those other words I mentioned is on something called the Cheat Sheet. And you can find the Cheat Sheet on a website called cross-tables.com. And I want listeners to start to learn them and walk around and recite them the way I did. (laughs) And if you can go from AA to ZA, you have succeeded. If anyone leaves us a voicemail reciting them all, some sort of nerd price. Good idea. How about a copy of Word Freak? I can make that available. Oh, hey. Awesome. That's great. (laughs) This is the first time homework has come with a prize. prize. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Well, Stefan Fatsis, thank you so much for talking with us. It was really fun. It has been my pleasure. Study and play. So what we want you to do is call us at 312-600-5638. Recite all 101 two-letter words that are acceptable in Scrabble. Give us a dramatic recitation. Whoever does the best job will win a copy of Word Freak. And it's honor system here. We're not going to know for sure if you were reading or not, but you'll know. And you'll have to live with that if you lie. I know it seems intimidating, 101 words, but you already know a lot of them. Like za for pizza. And of and to and at. There's a lot that we use pretty regularly. Your other assignment is to give us homework. Instead of just a year-end 2013 list of all the things that we loved, we want to hear what you nerded out about most in the last year. Best TV shows, board games, books you've read, whatever it is that you were nerding out about this year, call us and tell us. Give us a call, 312-600-5638. Thanks to Stefan Fatsis for joining us this week. You can hear him on Slate Sports Podcast. Hang up and listen. Also, thanks to the Asheville Tile Slingers and especially to David Gibson. He was very gracious with his time during the tournament. Thanks to our home stations, WBEZ and WCQS. And thank you for listening on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Throw us some stars if you're feeling generous. It's the holidays, after all. (laughs) BJ Lederman did not compose our theme. You're hearing New Old Toys by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, 
Crew and author Viet Tanwen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.